Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. And good morning to everyone joining us here in the room. Welcome to City on a Hill. My name is Jeff. We are so glad you were able to come and join us and without masks. I'm still just rejoicing in that with everyone. Yeah, it's okay to woo. It's okay, yeah. <laughs> and if you're joining us online, we are also thankful for that technology that allows you to, to participate with us in that way. And we also look forward to seeing you with us again one day. Now, if you are new to City on a Hill, relatively speaking, you know, maybe joined us in the last few weeks, you're probably thinking, this is normal. Last couple weeks, we worshiped, that Dave guy came up and he preached, and now today this Jeff guy is coming up and preaching, and, and that's just how it works here. But if you've been coming for a while, you're like, I've never seen him before. Like, what is going on? <laughs> so Blake is gone, Pastor Dave is gone, Scott's leading worship, so here I am, okay? This is what you get. <laughs> And I'm not uh, suddenly on staff, so it's not like, when did he become Pastor Jeff? Like, that didn't happen. I'm just a regular member like everyone else. But before my uh, wife and I moved here um, about a year and a half ago, I was in seminary. I got my master's in divinity, which is like one of the two pastor degrees. Now that sounds weird, master's of divinity. And while I was doing that, I did my pastoral residency or internship in college ministry and taught there several times. So it's not my first rodeo preaching by any means, but it is my first time preaching here at City on a Hill. Um, so if you don't know me already, um, there should be a, a slide of, of our family. And so, yep, there's me, my wife, Michelle, and you probably recognize us from the worship team. And then our daughter, Charity, who, who is newborn there, but she's almost four months old now, and so definitely looks more like a baby than in that picture. So today, I get to start by ending our series in Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one, excuse me, somewhere around you, whether that's in uh, the seat in front of you, in the back, underneath your seat, steal one from a neighbor. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that home with you and just make that yours. We want everyone to have a copy of the scriptures. If you say, eh, I probably wouldn't read it, just take it anyway, take it home, have it, you might be surprised. Hopefully, that's given you enough time to kind of make your way there. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 is where I'm going to start, and we're going to go to the end of the book. Verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked day and night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, 
do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Will you just pray with me um, for our time and that the Lord would be at work? Dear Heavenly Father, we gather before you this morning from all sorts of different places and walks of life and, and different places where our heart is at. So many distractions between um, just work and family and everything else going on in life. Father, would you quiet our hearts? Humble us, prepare our hearts to receive whatever you have for us this morning. We know and we, we believe that you have something for us from your word this morning. Would you reveal that to us? Help me as I teach this morning just to be faithful to your word and, and to represent it accurately and explain it accurately to the church. And I trust in the midst of my weakness and perfection, the body's weakness and perfection, that your perfect word will go out and your perfect spirit will go out and will be changing hearts and lives. And we, we ask this and pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So Paul is wrapping up his second letter uh, to the church at Thessalonica here. And he does this like many uh, of his other letters where it almost kind of feels like a laundry list. I don't know about you guys personally, but I'd love this sort of thing because it's very, very easy to get the application from it, right? Like, don't be a busybody, check. Work for a living, check. Be a good example, check. Have peace, check. Don't grow weary of doing good, check. Great. Now, with all of these different things and this kind of list, there's a lot we could unpack. And I even thought to myself, like, we could just turn this one passage into a whole mini-series, but we're not. So I had this other idea. What if I just kept preaching and preaching and preaching? And I told the first service we could just run into the second service and make it one huge long thing. But no one really seemed to go for that, so we're not going to do that either. And instead, I really want to focus just on kind of verse 6 to 15 and this situation in the church um, Paul is describing where some people are idle, kind of taking advantage of other people's generosity, and instead are being busy bodies. And Paul really has two exhortations for them, one for the church at large about encouraging others to repent, and one for those people personally who are involved in this sin and are unrepentant from this sin to repent themselves. And so I'm going to sum, summarize that in kind of this main idea this morning, that your willingness to repent and to encourage others to repent shows your humility. That's the kind of the, the focus for this morning. Your willingness to repent yourself, your, your willingness and desire to help others to repent shows your humility. So I'm not going to define repentance right now. We'll kind of do that as we go, just um, kind of implicitly or indirectly. But that main idea kind of breaks itself down nicely into two points, like we talked about. That responsibility we have as the church toward one another, or that responsibility we have ourselves to repent from our own sins, and, and that responsibility we have with God. So first... Warn your brothers and sisters in Christ of unrepentant sins. 
warn your brothers and sisters in Christ of unrepentant sin. And I'm getting that language of warn from verse 15 there. And if you uh, were paying attention as I was reading through the passage, you might think, these kind of look a little strange. I'm not, not exactly sure what's going on. And it's okay to read that and say, I'm, I'm not sure I fully understand, right? We have verse six, keep away from any brother walking in idleness. Okay, verse 14, have nothing to do with him. Okay, that's, that seems to make sense. And then verse 15, don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So I'm, I'm having nothing to do with him, but... I'm also warning him as a brother. How do those fit? And it also sounds super intense, right? It sounds like one and done. Like if I catch you sinning, you're out of here. And if that was truly what Paul was describing, who would be left in the church? No one, right? Not me, not you, not Pastor Dave. It would just be an empty building on Sunday mornings. So obviously, that's, that's not what Paul's talking about, right? Okay, well, what is he talking about? And we talked about a few weeks ago um, when Pastor Dave was preaching that we don't have all the details of everything that Paul instructed them to do. We just have what's in this letter, right? And so I think there are things that come before this have nothing to do with him, that we kind of miss out on when we just see this letter. And we don't have that teaching exactly, but I do want to kind of zoom out and say, what does the whole Bible say about this? As we're encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ to repent, what does the whole Bible say about this topic, right? When we, when we study the Bible, whether it's in our devotionals or on Sunday morning, whatever, we're asking ourselves, what does this passage say what does God want us to get from this passage? But we're also saying, what does the whole Bible say about this topic? So I think it'll be helpful when we zoom out to kind of go to Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, where even though Paul didn't write that one in particular, God is kind of laying out for us some steps of things that we do before we get to this point of, of um, staying away. So if you're a flip to it kind of person, Matthew 18, verse 15. If you're not, it will be on the screen. So verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So that's step one, right? You, you see something, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you go to them personally, and it's not guns blazing like, you sinner, like I'm going to get all the sinners, but it's humbly, where's this person at? This is what I see. What do you think about this? And kind of getting that side of that and having a conversation with them also. In a few weeks ago, you remember Dave talked about 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and he had this chart up here, and that really spoke to like my mathematical brain. But it said something like, admonish the wayward, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, right? And we said, people need different of these categories and they need different amounts of each of these categories and it's our job to figure out what that is, right? That's what's going on in this first step, right? We don't say, obviously they know they're sinning and they're unrepentant and we need to get them. We're saying, where are they at? How can I help? And we're providing that. Well, what if that doesn't work? Okay, well, then we move on to verse 16. But if he does not listen, 
take one or more or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this could be, maybe they just didn't know what they were doing with sinful, and so you're bringing in more people to kind of say no, like, look, here in scripture is where it's saying, this is wrong, you shouldn't do this. Maybe they do know, and they're just refusing to repent. You're bringing in more people to kind of increase that pressure and really say like, no, like, as believers, we're called to repent. Like, you need to repent. And if, practically speaking, if, if you're in this situation, this would be a good time to, to involve kind of the elders or, or Pastor Dave and just kind of explain the situation to them and, and tell them what's going on, and, and he can kind of help, they can kind of help direct you to what you need to do. But so say all that happens, brought in those extra people, and still they're refusing to repent. What then? Well, then we move on to verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what's, what's happening here is we're, even though it doesn't always fall nicely into this three-step process, right? Like, it's messy when you're involved in people's lives like this. It's not easily like, well, we finished step two and now we're moving on to step three. But the general principle is we're escalating kind of the number of people that are involved in this process um, to the extent that they're actually known. So, right, if, if Dave, who is known by all of us, was in this place, then we would have to tell the whole church and the whole church would be all part of that redemptive process. So there, take that as kind of the general steps, some context maybe of what's going on before this, and let's head back to uh, our passage in 2 Thessalonians and kind of place verse 6 into that context, right? So it says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in in accord with the tradition you received from us. When we, when we hear they're walking in idleness, that isn't that one-off we were talking about, right? This is a, a pattern of habitual, unrepentant sin. And we've already gone through all these steps, right? We've tried and we've tried and we've tried. And we're going to keep trying if they let us. But at this point, we're really trying to warn them. God, God's word says this repentance is part of the, the mark of a believer. Like if you're a believer, you will repent from your sin. It doesn't say you're going to be perfect, right? Because again, we already talked about this. We're not. But it says you will repent and you're going to wrestle your whole life with sin. And what you're doing now isn't like a believer, right? And we're saying the path you're going down leads to destruction, and I care more about you getting on the path towards righteousness than uh, us being buddy-buddy or anything like that. And so a practical question as kind of a follow-up is what do, what do we mean when we say keep away, right? Does it mean like if I see him, I got to like run away or give him the silent treatment? Well, no, right? Because in verse 15, we're, we're supposed to treat them like enemies and warn them as brothers, well, what do we do to our enemies, right? We, we love them, we pray for them, <laughs> and we warn them like a brother. And so not the silent treatment, not running away from them. Obviously, they're still welcome at church. 
Um, still welcome to have them over for dinner, if that was a thing you, you did before. Welcome to be a part of small group, kind of in a case-by-case -case thing, obviously. Lots of wisdom needed here. But some forms of interaction with them can't happen anymore, right? Like, my wife and I have people over from our small group, and we just play board games and have dinner and, and kind of hang out. That's the sort of thing that we couldn't do anymore, right? Because there's this fundamental shift in the relationship, right? The relationship was, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, down this path of righteousness that we are walking together. And now all of a sudden it's, when one is, is unrepentant, the relationship shifts to, I, because I love you, am really, 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 really trying to get you to go the other direction. You're on the path towards destruction, and I really, really, really want you to repent and switch and go towards the path that leads to life, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make that happen. And so the kind of tone or desire or motivation for those interactions from that point forward really needs to be, I love you and I want you to repent and conversations kind of around that. So, for you right here, right now, are you willing to go through the uncomfortable and painful process of doing that for your brothers and sisters in Christ? And maybe it'd even be just people you know, maybe it'd be people in your small group, but are you willing to sacrifice those things and the, the time and your comfort that it would take to do that, right? Because people's lives are messy, right? No one here is like, I love doing this for people because it's just so easy, right? No, <laughs> we are called to do this and it's difficult to do this because it's so hard and we desire things like comfort and ease instead. So are you willing to do this for others? And do you desire to be admonished? And so I'm not, not just saying, do you tolerate being admonished, right? Like if someone goes up to you, you kind of politely listen, and then as soon as they're done speaking, you never give it a second thought, right? We've probably all been there. At least hopefully it's not just me. Um, you say, well, like, Jeff, how do I know? How do I know if I desire to be admonished? Desires are a weird thing, right? I'd say I did because that's what Christians should do, right? We should desire it. So how would you know? And I would say that's the response you give when you are admonished will kind of tell you where your heart is at. So if... If someone comes to kind of confront you about, about something and just say, hey, I'm, I'm seeing this in your, your life, do you respond with anger or being offended or maybe it's kind of the opposite of the, the spectrum of, of really hurt and teary and crying and all that stuff? Like we were talking about before, is it, yeah, I'm going to listen to be polite because I don't want to make a scene and, and it'd just be easier to listen, but I'm not actually going to take it seriously? Or is it... I'm going to listen. I'm going to think about what they're saying. And is it, is it even something I'm not doing wrong that is, looks sinful and taking that, that feedback seriously and really, really thinking about it and thinking, how can I grow from this? Or is it just an uncomfortable conversation to be forgotten? Another kind of litmus, litmus test would be, are you just a regular attender here at City on a Hill, 
or are you a member? And maybe you'd say, well, I don't know, you know what the difference is. We both show up on Sunday morning, we both worship and, and listen to the sermon and are part of small groups and all that stuff. And I get that. But when you formally become a member, you're, you're formally committing and saying, this is my local body. Like, these are my people, this is my church family, and I'm, I'm for this. And you are also kind of formally placing yourself under the authority of the local church and of the elders and saying, hey, I want this kind of accountability we're talking about in here, right? I want you to be checking up on me and, and making sure I am repenting and making sure I am doing this. And I want to I want to do this for other people in the body too. And we as, as a family and as a church family get to participate in that with you. And we get to affirm you as a believer and welcome you into the family officially. And so I would really encourage you, if, if you're not a member, really think about that and um, encourage you wherever you're at to kind of take the next step toward that. So maybe you are relatively new here or kind of have been attending for a while, but you've never taken step two. We just had step two last week after, after church. That would be a good kind of step of growth for you. So just had it last week, but I promise it will come back next month. That can be kind of your next step. We'll say, I've already taken step two, I'm a believer, I'm kind of regularly attending for a while, and I've decided that this is going to be my, my church family, but I haven't become a member for this or that reason. Well, take that next step, right? Invite that accountability in, become a member, and kind of officially join the family. Why? Because we want to have this accountability in our lives. We want to be known. We say at the end of each of our services, you are loved, right? Because we want you to feel that love and to, to be loved and to know you and love you despite knowing you and your faults and all these, these things. And love you and know you well enough to, to accept you where you are, but, but not let you stay there, right? And, and to be a part of that process with you of growing and changing and redeeming. And hopefully you want that, you want to be a part of that, but um, ultimately wanted to, to frame our whole discussion this morning in this. And that's the whole purpose of all of this, this whole process of encouraging one another in this and admonishing one another is this, is redemptive, not punishment. The whole purpose of all of this process is redemptive, not punishment. So if, if you are hearing me say all these things and, or hearing Paul say all these things and you think, like, this is just a method for us to punish all those wicked people and we're taking our sword of, look how holy we are and we're just going to get all those sinners, you are way off from what our heart is in this and what we're trying to accomplish, Right? In verse 15, when we say we're warning each other, or in verse 6, we're keeping away, or even verse 14, and I, I want to reread this, actually, is, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Why does Paul say we want them to be ashamed? Like, doesn't that strike you as kind of odd? We want them to be ashamed. Why is that? It's so that people will be 
repentant and turn away from their sin, right? It's kind of like this. Um, I don't know if any of you as a child had something weird that, like food-related that you wanted to eat that your parents wouldn't let you. So I feel like for a lot of us, it's cookie dough. Like, hey, that's going to make you sick. And we're like, whatever, I'm still going to eat it. That was definitely me too, don't get me wrong. But one of the other things that I really, really wanted to try was Crisco, which is like vegetable shortening, right? To me, when I saw it in that big tub, I was like, this is going to be like a combination of like butter and cookie dough. And that's just got to be good. So of course, my mom was like, Jeff, don't eat that. Jeff, don't eat that. Jeff, don't eat that. So I don't know if I just wore it down over the years, or I was finally old enough that she was like, yeah, you can try it. But one day, I, I finally try it, and it's horrible, right? So if you're here like, maybe I should try shortening, don't do it. I've, I've done it for you. It tastes horrible, so you don't have to. So you're welcome for that. But it's like that, right? Like, why was my mom like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, right? Because parents, it's so fun to tell your kids over and over again not to do things. Like, woohoo, yeah. <laughs> no, right? It's the opposite. We fail to do that sometimes because it gets so tiresome and difficult and all these different things. <laughs> it's because she was trying to protect me from what the end of that path was, right? I was on the path toward Crisco destruction, and she was trying to save me from that. Right, like this is, you think this is going to bring you pleasure because it tastes so good and it's really nasty. And we're doing the same thing here with, with this whole process, right? No matter what the sin is or what the issue is or what's going on, you are headed down this path toward destruction. And we as the body are saying, no, 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 don't go this way. Go this way. This is the way, the path of righteousness, the path toward life the path that God has given us, and you are going this way, and we as a body are going to do whatever it takes to get you to repent and go this other way. Not because, oh, it's so fun to try to stop people from doing what they want to do, but because we love you and we've experienced the blessings of being on this path of life and want you to be on it too. And as we do this, and as we participate in this together, in this way we image God, because our God is a redeeming God. Amen? Amen. From Genesis to Revelation, God is redeeming, right? Genesis, Adam and Eve, the first two people, they were created perfect, and then they sinned in the garden. And all sorts of terrible things have resulted from that, but for us as people, we've We've been imbued or, or born with this sin nature. And now at this point, no matter what, we can't help but sin. And by the grace of God, we, we can do things that are, are righteous and pleasing to him and glorify him. But without his help and without his spirit, we would just be sinning. So what does God do? Does he say, well, tough, like you guys did this, so deal with it? No, right? He sent Jesus, who lived the perfect life we couldn't, paid the price that we owed, so that if we believe in him, if we, we trust in him for our sins, that we would receive his righteousness, and we would be justified before God. And so in this life, we're continually being redeemed and continually being sanctified and, and becoming more and more like him, then you die. Hopefully that's not news for you, that you'll, you'll die one day. Then you die, 
And then what happens, right? You're resurrected and you're made perfect. You're redeemed. And we return back to what was in the garden, right? Perfect fellowship with God. And if you are a non-believer and you're, you're just visiting or kind of checking things out or, or listening to this, those promises aren't for you, right? Those promises are for believers. But they can be today, right? If you put your faith in Jesus, trust in him for your sins, confess him as Lord, you can have those same promises apply to your life today, right? And I, I really want you to think about it. Like, this is an important question. Like, what will happen after you die? What will happen with all those bad things that happened into your life? God promises, promises us in his word that he's going to use all of those things for our good if you're a believer. And he's gonna redeem all those things and he is redeeming us. And then, like I was just saying in the last days when we're resurrected, he will redeem us. And you can be a part of that if you put your trust in Jesus. So that's kind of the first point, our corporate responsibility to one another, encouraging one another to repent, being a part of that redeeming process. The second part is the kind of personal responsibility, right? So point two is fully repent from your own sin. Fully repent from your own sin. So let's uh, read verses 11 to 12 again. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So what's happening here? So before Paul was talking to the whole congregation and saying, hey, here's exhorting you, hey, here's your responsibility to the church as a whole. And we, we hear this is going on among you and you should be treating them differently as you are than you are right now. And kind of verse 11 to 12, he's turning his attention to those people specifically who are kind of trapped in this sin of being a busybody mooching off of others, right? This isn't pandemic, I lost my job and I'm looking for a new one. This is, I don't want to work, so I'm not going to, and I'm just going to mooch off of, off of others. And the, there's two parts that Paul has kind of told them to their repentance in these verses. So it's not just stop being a busybody and stop mooching, even though it is that. It's also do your work quietly and earn your own living. And it's gotta be both. Not just stop being a busybody, but also work, earn your living quietly. So there's really those two parts and I like to think of it as put off for the stop doing and put on for the, the righteousness that replace it, right? So in the put off, there's some sort of sinful action, desire, thought, belief that needs to be stopped. And the put on, some sort of righteous action, thought, desire, belief that we learn from God's word that needs to be put on. And I get this language of put off and put on from Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, that's kind of um, where the, the process of, of change is laid out. So I, I wanna go there briefly and just read it real quick so you know where I'm, I'm coming from. So Ephesians 4, verse 22. 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your formal manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is the how do I change? I feel like I get this question a lot, so for those of you who don't know, on Monday evenings, I moonlight as a biblical counselor with things like depression and anxiety and panic attacks and addictions and things like that. And when people come in, they always want to know, like, I want to change. How do I change? And this is exactly what I tell them. And it literally works for everything. Even those you know, things, you're like, oh, this is serious, like addictions. This is the same process. Whether it's the most mundane sin or huge life-dominating sin, it's literally put off and put on. Now, obviously, God is the one who gives the growth, but we know and have that promise from God that he's going to work. So I'm not concerned that God isn't going to be faithful and he's not going to change and grow you, but he invites us in as a part of that process to repent and to participate in that with him, and we're called to be faithful to that. Another example of this put off, put on comes just a few, few verses later in um, the, the book of Ephesians in verse 28. It says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And again, right, do you see the put off, put on here, right? So put off stealing, right, stealing bad, stop. But there's also the put on of, okay, if you don't put anything on, like, what's going to happen? <laughs> You'll go back to stealing, right? Especially in this example, because you need to eat and have some sort of income. So it's not just stop stealing, but it's get a job. And it's not just get a job, but it's share with those who are in need, right? We need both, the put off and the put on. Because of this, we need both, put off, put on, there's two ditches that are really easy for people to fall into. First ditch, you put off, but you don't put on, right? And that was kind of this example we were just talking about. There's kind of this vacuum that happens if you, you try to put off, but that vacuum doesn't get filled with anything if you don't put on. So again, in this scenario, if you are stealing, you don't have a job, you're just stealing, and you're saying, that's wrong, bad, I'm gonna stop stealing, that's, recognize that's sinful, you put that off, but you don't put on getting the job and sharing with others, what's going to happen? Well, like we said, option one is you go back to that sin that you were at. So I was stealing. Oh no, I need food. I'm going to go back to stealing. Or some new sin could come in and take its place. So maybe they're going to take a cue from, from this guy we're reading about in the, the church at Thessalonica, and they're like, well, I won't steal, but I will be a busybody and um, kind of mooch off of others, right? Well, you're, you're in no better of a place than you were before, right? You just replace that sin with some other sin, and it could be just as bad. It could be worse even. I gave this uh, illustration in the first service, and they were like, what are you talking about? But has anyone read the book or seen the, the old Disney movie, 
The Wind in the Willows. It's like classic British literature. There's a few hands, okay. In the first service, they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you should watch it once and only once. Um, so in, in the movie or in the book, the main characters are animals and they're anthropomorphic. They, they basically act like people. And one of those main characters' name is Mr. Toad. Now, Mr. Toad is very wealthy. He has a big mansion, and his mansion and, and kind of everything he's got going in on is the pride of the community. But Mr. Toad has a problem. He, again, this is a long time ago, so bear with me. Mr. Toad is addicted to the thrill of the horse and buggy. So he is like going all around town, running into stuff and racing around. And it's a serious problem. He's racking up debt and he's about to lose his mansion because of all the destruction he's caused in his, his horse and buggy. So what do his friends do? <laughs> they applied the first part of the sermon and they confronted him and, and Mr. Toad you know, repents and, and, and puts off and says, you're right, like from a stewardship perspective, totally blowing it. Um, I'm going to stop, you know, I'll, I'll change, recognizes it's wrong, all those good things that are part of putting off, right? But he doesn't do the put on. So what happens? He is in his home and looking out the window, he sees someone race by in a motor car and all of a sudden, like, he's sunk, right? He's like, that's it. That's how I'm going to get my thrills. It's now motor cars. And he's, and he's worf, worse off than he ever was before. And that's the same thing that happens to us, the same thing that we were just talking about. If you put off and don't put on, that sin is either going to come right back or something else is going to take its place. And if we're not intentional to, to, to go to God's word and say, what is, what is the righteous put on in this scenario, right? Whatever takes its place, it's not going to be good, right? We don't just fall into righteousness. So the other um, ditch you can fall into, right? Instead of putting off and not putting on, it's putting on and not putting off before you do that. And this would be uh, kind of the one that I personally would do or struggle with. And it's kind of this do better, try harder mentality. So it, you do kind of recognize like that was bad and I need to do better. But that's, that's kind of where it ends. Like there's no, I'm coming to God and praying and agreeing with him about my sin. But instead it's just like, oh, like that was bad. We might not even use the word sin. Like, oh, I, I can do better. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the righteous thing now, right? But what happens when you do that? Well, there's, you haven't, you haven't taken this thing out. You haven't kind of given yourself room to grow. And when, when we repent, we have to agree with God about our sin. And, and so how does God think about our sin? Is it the same way we think about our sin? A lot of times we like to soften our own sin. And we don't even like to talk about it as sin either or evil. It's kind of like, oh, I'm, I messed up. Like, have you ever been talking about someone, about their sin in small group or whatever, and ah, I, I messed up with this weekend? It's like, you did mess up, but that kind of makes it seem like, oh, I spilled 
milk today while I was eating my breakfast or something like that, right? Now, this is sin. Like, this is serious. And how does God think about our sin? It's an abomination, right? Like, sin is what caused Jesus to have to go to the cross. Like, this is a big deal. So part of it is have to agree with God about our sin. And the reason for that is, is pretty simple. And when I say it, you're going to be like, duh. But I also want us to just take a moment and think like, oh, yeah, that's true. So here it is. We sin because we think we're getting something from that sin. Of course, it's like, duh, right? But no, like, when we sin, it's because we want to, right? At least part of us wants to do it, right? We, we think we're getting something from it. And I don't know what it is. Like, in, in these examples, it was, it was stealing or being a busybody, right? And what that sin is telling us and what we're believing in that moment is, this is the way to whatever that thing is I want, right? So maybe it's, I will be more secure if I do this. Or maybe it is, this will give me the most joy or the most pleasure or the most control or whatever it is. And when we agree with God about our sin, we say, that's a lie, right? And we recognize whatever that sin is promising, it's not going to deliver it. And maybe it will for a little bit, but it's not going to be lasting. And when we see that, when we see our sin as an abomination, when we see it like this is a lie, this isn't actually providing what it promises to me, well, then we're less tempted, right? Like how many of us do things that we think are abominations that we also don't think we're going to get anything out of, right? Like we're not tempted by those things. And when you think about it in your life, like all the things you are tempted by, the things you aren't tempted by, like so many different things you aren't tempted by. Um, while I was preparing for the message, the one that came to my, my mind was like, no one's been tempted to go on a, like a toupee stealing spree, right? Because if you, I know it's, it's silly. I told myself I wouldn't say it, but here we are. <laughs> so I, like maybe I would benefit from one, but what would you do with like 20? Nothing. That's why if I, we, we said, let's all raise our hands if we've ever been tempted by this, right? No one's raising our hand because <laughs> we don't think we're getting anything out of that. And so I just encourage you to think about that as you're thinking through this put off and put on. Part of it in this put off is agreeing with God about our sin and what God's word says about that sin and, and, and what, it, what it tells us it's providing for us and that lie. So, just went over the two ditches. And if you're not already thinking about it, which one do you fall into? So like I said, I, I fall into the put on, but maybe don't put off. Maybe you fall into the put off, but don't do the put on, or need to, to know my Bible well enough or search the scriptures to know what the put on is, and, and don't do that part. Or maybe you're saying, Jeff, I'm not even, I'm not even at those places. I, I don't even think to repent at all, and maybe uh, that's the place where you're at. And so uh, I want to invite the worship team to come back up as we're, we're kind of thinking through these final thoughts. And 
I just want to encourage us as a church. The reason I'm talking about this today is not because us as a, a church family in City on a Hill, we are, you know, totally missing the mark, right? Right. That's not true. Like, this is taking place. This is happening. If you don't know, at Sitting on a Hill, like, we've gone through this process with people and, and love people in this way. But we don't want to just stay where we're at and say, well, this is good enough. Right? It's, it's fine. It's kind of comfortable. This is where we're at. So what would it look like to take that step of, of growth for you? We talked about a lot of different ways, but is it, is it you in your personal life? Like, I just, I just need to come up with ways to kind of recognize when I need to repent and, and repent fully. Maybe it's on Sunday mornings. I'm talking with people, meeting people, but it's, it's kind of just normal, small talky stuff. And we're not talking about the serious things in our lives, things we need to repent from, encouraging one another, admonishing one another. Maybe it's in small group where you're saying, I, I'm not being vulnerable and kind of inviting that accountability into my life. Whatever that is, I just encourage you this week to be, to be praying about that, asking for God's help to do that. We need his help in, in thinking about that. And just ask that right now you would join me in, in praying about that. Father, we, we need your help. I mentioned this at the beginning, but man, we all fall short and we're all... We're all sinning and, and continue to sin, even, even those of us who have been saved. And even when we do that, sometimes we fail to repent or we, we fail to repent fully or, or fail in our duties towards others to, to help them in this way. And Father, we, we just need your help in, in doing this. And we absolutely can't do it without you. There's no do better, try harder here. It's leaning in on you. And I also just pray that your word would be changing hearts here today and that we as a, as a church body and, and each of us as individuals would, would value the gift you've given us in repentance and getting able to participate in that redeeming work. And would you just help us as a church body be so about this that when guests walk into that door, they, they feel loved, but also notice that we love each other enough to, to get into that messiness of each other's lives and help each other grow in that way. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.